When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Awesome Etiquette, part of the Infinite Guest Network. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. And today we're going to start off by talking about a topic a little close to home. Dan, you and Pooja have been making some wedding plans. We have. And for, for longtime listeners of the show, you, you've been with us from the start in many ways. We... we uh, we first introduced Pooja, my fiance, when we were talking about picking out a ring, and then we told the proposal story. I think episode three or four, um, and things keep moving along. We're 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 getting into the the nitty gritty now. We've. <laughs> what I like is that the first the first couple weeks, and I feel like a lot of couples do this. They say. No, I think we might just want a really small wedding, just like our Guilty. immediate family. <laughs> There's this, and I'm going like, Pooja's got a big family, and you actually have a big family too. I mean, not just the post side, but the sending side as well. It's true. And they're all close by. And so I was sitting here going, you know, having been through all of the engagement and all the relationship and all the ring shopping and everything, was like, wait, man, I don't get to go to the wedding? No, I started you, you were one of those feeling. first people who I started to, to, to sense that from. And I was like, oh, okay. Even though it's not about me. No, it but it is. It's about everybody. It, it, d- done well, I'm starting to appreciate this more and more. Yeah. It really is a community affair. And as I get to know more of Pooja's extended family, and we've had a couple of opportunities to do that now. Engagement we had a, weekend. An engagement party weekend where my nuclear family and her nuclear family spent the weekend together. Yeah. Um, there was, and I was a little nervous about it, not so much because I knew all the major players. I knew everybody were, I, I knew we were all good people. <laughs> um, and, and, I like that. I knew that we were all good people. <laughs> like people were going to be well behaved. It was, and and yeah. they were, but it was also, it was a lot, it was a lot more fun than I ever imagined. You sort of, you, you, you get a little stressed sometimes anticipating these things, but then the, the event itself was comfortable and special and it started to make me excited about maybe broadening that and inviting more people into that space it is having just gone through my sister's wedding it is one of those things where it's it's such a part of of the whole family and it's something that you'll i mean we're anna's wedding was in august and you know even last night at dinner we're still talking about photos that just came out and everything it is something that does bond a family it's it's very unifying. It's very exciting. And I'm just really glad that you guys have decided to share it with the rest of us because it, it is. It's it's one of the good things. You're there with your family. I mean, we, we lost both grandparents within the past five years. Yep. And you've kind of been through that supportive but very difficult process of that. Yep. And this time it's like really nice to have the family supporting you through something that's a celebration. It's a celebration. And and without losing the focus, without um, really being on on committing to each other and but but making that a special moment for everybody. Yeah. Um 
So the nitty gritty. Yeah, I want to hear a little bit. Give starting me my assignment, um, I'll be traveling this next week. While I'm traveling, is to draft up my version of the guest list because we <laughs> talked to the local church in Waterbury. We got some Numbers. dates that are possible. Oh, dates. And okay. now it's coordinating those possible dates at the church with possible dates for the venues for reception. The reception is going to depend on the number, the total number, okay. where we can do it. So. Now we've got to get a, get a rough idea of our guest list so that we can coordinate dates between church and reception. Do you know, location. like, are some of the dates in the spring or some? You don't have to give exact dates because I know you're not going to want to share that. But no, uh, May, June. May and or June. That's lovely. You guys wanted a spring wedding and that's. That's spring in Vermont. It, it Summer is. elsewhere. Spring no, and here. even late May, people were starting to warn us a little bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> you might still be cold. You might need the heaters mid May. Yeah. Um, what we're finding very quickly, and your sister Anna warned me about this. She said that once you start getting into the plane, you start realizing why people do all the things that they, that do, they do, why the tradition is the tradition the way it is. And a lot of it is has to do with really practical considerations. Yeah. So once we decided it wasn't just going to be family and siblings in the backyard <laughs> under a grape arbor, <laughs> then, it, then, it, then it starts to become a question of – of all of those traditional questions, what is the venue going to look like? How are you going to get everybody fed? How is everybody going to sit down? Yeah, um, all the, the logistics. details that are the standard details. Well, if you want, I do. I, I happen to know two people who have written a book on wedding etiquette that came out this year. And if you if you'd like gun. that book on wedding etiquette and the wedding planner that goes with it, well, I would be more than happy to get a copy of that to you and Pooja. I, I, mean, I really appreciate that. You know that that could be really <laughs> helpful at a time like this, such a, a major wedding transition. <laughs> Good. Well, it's going to be exciting to hear more about the wedding and it will be really exciting this spring when we get to go to it. And hopefully you all will be there with us a little bit along the way. And we would love to get to some of your questions now. Well, I'll keep you posted. <laughs> You're right. But there's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. 
Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. So this question comes from Paul, and I would like to formally admit that Paul is actually a friend of mine who, when we first did our podcast, uh, emailed me and said, I can't believe you're doing this. I'm so excited. I loved the first two podcasts and then sent in a question. So this question comes from my friend Paul in Southern California. He says, I'm currently working as a dog walker in Southern California. Occasionally, I will board dogs in my home or stay at a client's house and take care of their four-legged babies. I work through a company, so I don't deal directly with any money. However, sometimes a client will directly tip me cash, and I have sent a thank you note to them. Sometimes I forget and feel bad, but then the moment passes. My question is, do I need to send a thank you note for these types of tips? They happen throughout the year, but with the holidays approaching, I know tipping is a big issue, and I'm wondering what proper etiquette is when it comes to these types of thank you notes. Paul, it is so wonderful to have you on the air with us. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) And how is sunny Southern California today? Oh, my gosh. It is beautiful. It's been a heat wave, but I will take that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm jealous. That's Paul, for sure. I am so jealous, too. I can't tell you how much I loved my time just outside Los Angeles. <clears throat> oh, it's nice. Shorts all year round. <laughs> I love it. So so you do you do dog walking, and yeah. you, you've been receiving tips, and you know that the holiday season and holiday tipping is coming up, so you're starting to wonder about thank you notes, right? Yes, yes. Paul, we, we were wanting to ask you just a, a quick follow-up question for clarification. Uh, okay. We're wondering if when you encounter these tips, whether people are actually handing them to you, or is it more more likely that they leave an envelope or something in the home with the tip in it? Uh, it's been both. Like, sometimes okay. they leave a, a little extra when I get there, um, and then sometimes I'll get an envelope afterward um, just saying, oh, this is, a, this is a thank you for taking such good care of whoever. Do they ever hand it to you directly, like when you're in person with them? Or do you never wind up being in person with them? Um, nope. Sometimes they do hand it in person, um, okay. but it's never, it's always in like an envelope or a, or a card, which I never open in front of them. I sort of just say, mm. oh, thanks, and then go on my way. Okay. So that being said, I think no matter what, you can always write a note and you should always feel confident about writing a thank you note. I have never heard of someone who says, wow, it was really inappropriate that you sent me that thank you note. <laughs> it just really did me in. Can't be friends. No. But I do think that um, when you haven't been given the tip directly in, in person, that that's the time when it's really important to send the thank you note because it lets the, the, um, the homeowners, the dog owners know that you received the tip, that it didn't fall on the floor and get lost or somehow didn't arrive to you. And it, it shows that you, ha- you you are grateful for it and that that exchange was appreciated. I, I couldn't agree with that anymore. And, and let me also commend you on your thinking ahead about this. In so many ways, a tip is a thank you. And thinking about thanking someone for a thank you just shows such e- exemplary forethought and, and, and good behavior. Um, and it is nice to thank them in person. And, and when you receive that tip, but that verbal thank you is really enough. At some point, you don't need to thank for a thank you note. 
or for a thank you tip. So the fact that you're thinking about it ahead of time and really going that extra mile is going to make an impact. It's going to cement and build that relationship. And like Lizzie said, if you haven't got it in person, just some little note to acknowledge that it was received can really put someone's mind at ease that that their gift has been received and well received at that. Okay, perfect. So yeah, have no fear. If it's in person, you do not have to to say more. And if it's if it's not, if it was in an envelope, go ahead and send the note. I will. I will do that. Fantastic. And give those four-legged friends a scratch for me. Yes, <laughs> I will. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Have a great day. You too, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Our next question comes from Victoria in Richmond. She wonders. I have a question regarding wedding guest etiquette. We are having an intimate destination wedding in Florida with a very short guest list. We hope to have between forty and fifty guests. Given this small number, we gave much thought to a very edited list. I'm starting to receive my RSVP cards for my upcoming wedding and had a guest write in the name of her plus one. To be clear, it is her roommate, not even a significant other or serious romantic date. To make matters worse, I don't particularly care for the company of this roommate either. I know you previously commented on drawing the line when family is or isn't invited, but I still feel confused as I have to confront this RSVP write-in, not just explain why there was no primary invitation. This is tricky. Wedding guest lists, as you're about to find out, are really difficult topics. What an appropriate question. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, so the one thing I'm not entirely clear about, I, I when I hear this question, I think that she was given a plus one and the bride just doesn't happen to like the, the person that got written in as the plus one. <laughs> so if I look at it that way, unfortunately, when you give somebody a plus one, you can't put parameters on it and they can bring a friend or, you know, even a casual acquaintance as mm-hmm. much as they could bring a significant other that you didn't realize they were dating. So it's a shame that she chose somebody that you don't very much care for, but that's kind of the way it goes. And I would just let it go and realize that you probably aren't going to interact with this person that much during the wedding. You are going to be really focused on your very close friends or your grandmother that maybe you don't see that often. It's It's a little bit one of those things where I say, you opened it up, she went for it, it's totally legit, you kind of can't tell her, no, you can't bring that person. Mm -hmm. Um, If we we talk about it where she didn't have a plus one and the guest wrote the name in. So we're now imagining an RSVP card that didn't have a plus one indication or line on it and someone's just jotted down. Um, If if that is the case, then... um, You can do it two ways. Either you can say, okay, some people didn't accept the invitation and therefore there is room for this plus one. I'm not going to make a stink about it. Mm -hmm. Or you can say, you know, I really I didn't give this person a plus one. I need to explain this to them. And you would call her up and say, listen, Jackie, I think there was a bit of a misunderstanding. I had intended the invitation to just be for you. And I noticed that you had written in you know, your roommate's name. Unfortunately, it's not something we're able to accommodate. That's why I hadn't given you a plus one to start with. Mm-hmm. And the the only other way that I can read what's going on in this situation is, is that there's the second part of the question where she talks about, I still feel confused as I have to confront this RSVP right and not just explain why there was no primary invitation. I think she's worried about explaining to the roommate that she does know, mm-hmm. but doesn't particularly care for that she wasn't invited to the wedding. Didn't get the invitation independently to begin with. Yeah. yeah. if I, I don't think that you even have to go there. It's a small wedding. It is your choice. Unfortunately, some 
feathers are going to be ruffled in these situations. But if you are closer to the one roommate than the other, it's just the way it goes. They happen to live together. That's a shame in your social circle for you. But really, what can you do? You're you're entitled to make your guest list as you see fit. And this was how you see fit. So I say be confident in that. The last things to think out are just that write-ins are really difficult to deal with because no matter what, you kind of feel like you're disappointing someone. You're like, I didn't give you a plus one and you wrote it in. So now this is awkward. These are the challenges of putting together a guest yeah. list. And and you do have to draw the line somewhere. And the, the only sort of concluding thought I have is that for those of you that are potential wedding guests out there or potentially not wedding guests at a, a wedding that you might think that you'd be invited to, um, the advice is always to remember not to take it personally or not to take it too personally. Right. That no, that these is... decisions are tough and people have to draw the line somewhere. That is really, really important. And and just to deal with that, you're worried about confronting the roommate. As I said, you don't have to. If you only have to contact the person who is actually invited. Um, and again, if you did mm-hmm. give her that plus one, you, you opened up that can of worms. And now now this is just going to be a guest at your wedding and embrace it and and be glad that she'll be there celebrating as best you can. Some, some wedding traditions, they plan for a few extra guests. They just assume that that a few extra people are going to show up. I don't know if I call that a tradition, <laughs> but that actually do, that does happen, and you, mm. you do want to think about it. But uh, definitely, we hope that, that that helps answer your question a couple different ways. And, and best of luck with the rest of your planning. I, I sympathize. This next question comes from Lydia. She writes, I enjoy entertaining at home, especially with close friends. One gentleman is quite overweight, so I sat him at the head of the table to give him a bit more room at my last dinner party. When the party ended, I noticed that the seat of the chair was broken and I had to have it fixed. So what do I do the next time he comes over? I certainly don't want to embarrass him with like a heavy patio chair while everyone else is on a, in a dining room chair. But must I spend $175 to fix the chair each time he dines with us? If that's the only answer, then that's what I'll do. But do you have any other options for me? Thanks for considering my question. Oh, Lydia. It's a tough one, right? I am so sympathetic. And this is a this is a tricky etiquette question. There, there are a lot of things at play here. I, I dealt with a situation very similar myself oh, okay. not too long ago. Uh, um, I had inherited from my grandparents a set of antique dining room chairs, and I love them. They're, they're very special to me, family heirlooms. And he's not particularly overweight. He's just a big guy, and he sort of sits a little slouchy in his chair. He's, he's being a friend of yours? Yes. Oh, okay. Exactly. Gotcha. And he came over for dinner, and um, I, I had to mention to him that these were new chairs, that they were very delicate antiques. and that These are it was new antiques. <laughs> it's important for, for me to take good care of them, and I, I would appreciate if he wouldn't lean back in his chair, if he could really sit on it with all four legs on the floor, that the chair wasn't going to support him. If if he sat in it that way, this for my particular situation, just mentioning it right in the moment, asking him to to stay aware of it was enough. As long as weight was distributed through all four legs, we were in good shape. Sure. It sounds like this might be a situation where it's an even more extreme example of that, where. Well, maybe he is sitting correctly. It's just the sheer weight of this gentleman is is putting strain on the chair. Although my first question for our our writer is, um, are we sure that that chair broke because of this person's weight? Is is the type of chair really not going to sustain them? Or was this chair already on the edge? Was it already stressed for breaking? Exactly. And maybe with that repair, that chair is now going to be able to 
to bear the weight. <laughs> sure. And because well, it doesn't sound like the chair literally smashed out from under him. It sounds like maybe oof. it cracked or the, it. I don't know. I don't know what type of chair we're dealing with, but. Exactly. So there's a chance that we might be in the clear already. Um, Just by having it fixed. Exactly. At the same time, really thinking ahead, you want to – your goal in this situation is both to uh, avoid incurring a lot of cost but also to help your friend avoid embarrassment. And I I see that in the question in terms of not wanting to single that person out by providing them with a different kind of chair but also not wanting to put them in a position where their chair is disintegrating underneath them when they sit down at the – Dining room table. Not put you in the position of having to fix a chair for, you know, or if you bring in the next one, you know, so that's another thing she could do. She could switch the chairs so that the one that was just repaired and and maybe is kind of the weak link in the chairs Mm -hmm. is um, or out of the chairs, I should say, is is, you know, you give them another chair, try it out. If that one breaks again, then you move on to solution B, which one way to handle this is you don't have to give just him a different chair. I like this. My parents have a, a whole second set of chairs for their dining room. And it's not, they don't match the set. Um, in fact, you know, when it's a really big dinner party, we straight go for like the folding chairs, you know, and, and we have a set of those to bring out. But whatever it is, you know, whether it's it's something less expensive uh, but still durable or, you know, if it is if it is that kind of folding chair, something that you can use and you maybe set every other chair up as one of those so that he doesn't feel singled out but you're not worried about your nice antique or your nice dining room set chair potentially getting broken again. Yeah, you're talking about a solution somewhere in between patio right. chair and – Yeah, and I, I agree. And I, th- I think the patio chair was probably her extreme example. But I agree that, that it would look awkward and I think it's good that she's her instincts are right. Yes, that would feel singled out. But if you had – and you don't have to have, bring in all your patio chairs. But like I yeah. said, get another set of chairs that's an easy one to set up that you know are durable, that aren't terribly expensive and just alternate chairs at your dinner party that way. You could even put uh, just two new chairs at the head and end of the table but so that they may, they were coherent in terms of the, the organization of the dining room. Sure. And that that's no matter what, as long as you haven't just given him that one chair, then exactly. you have the option and guests don't feel like singled out. And I think that'll be good. And so, bravo to you for entertaining. Yes. <laughs> Actually hosting dinner parties. <laughs> Good luck, Lydia. We hope that's helpful. Let's take another question. This one comes from an anonymous listener. Hello. How to correct someone who licks their utensils or blows on soup? Puts their utensils on the table. Thanks. I think we can assume there are some questions in there about those topics. <laughs> We've got a list of some bad table manner behaviors that uh, that need addressing. Um, you know, the question of how to correct someone else's behavior is always incredibly tricky. Um, it's very difficult. Yeah. Oftentimes the answer is you don't have standing. Right. Unless <laughs> we, it's like your own kids. And, and that's why a little more information is helpful uh, because the relationship is really going to matter in this situation. Your kids, you want to help them out. You want to give them the tools that they need and you want to talk to them, be very clear about what the expectations are and have expectations that are appropriate. Obviously, your toddler um, has a different (laughs) set of expectations than your preteen or your teen. Well said. We're going to expect to be using those adult behaviors. Um, (laughs) 
if it's your spouse, you might have standing to bring it up. You might want to talk to them about it. This is a question we often get. My husband does X or my wife mm-hmm. does X and it drives me crazy. Um, I've mentioned it. I've joked about it. It's still going on. What do I do? <laughs> it's time to escalate. You, you eat with this person every meal. You care about them. You care about how they're perceived other places. And you probably do have standing to talk to them about it. But you want to approach it with some care, with some sensitivity, with some sympathy. <laughs> if someone were talking to you about something that was very personal um, – and something that you do all the time, you would want someone to take some care before they asked you to change that that aspect of yourself. Uh, if it's someone that's not in your immediate family, if it's not a grandchild, a child, a spouse, or a, a close friend who you care about and have an opportunity to really talk with them about this stuff, you, you might want to swallow your, your, your words for just uh, one meal, <laughs> get through it, survive it, and – um, and move on because sometimes correcting someone else's behavior opens up a whole can of worms that that isn't a place that you want to go. Um, so how would you though if – because you're right. Obviously, if it's an acquaintance or there's someone you're only dining with once, you're not going to do it. But I'm guessing that this this writer probably does dine with this person regularly. So, you know, and we, we said humor can be effective, but sometimes it's not your best choice. So what – like what what kind of language would you use to start that conversation? Because let's face it, eating is gross. Yeah. And so you kind of. If and we've you're all got to do it. And if you're going to dine with this person on a semi-regular basis, like and clearly he, this the, the writer is upset about it. What what do you do? The coworker you have lunch with every day. Sure. And you hear him chewing. Yeah. Um, know ahead of time what the thing is that you're going to ask them to correct and okay. maybe even have an idea about. Um, a, a way a way to address the behavior. So if you're going to don't just say, oh, you do this terribly. <laughs> you, you give them the correction. Say, you know, could, could you try to chew with your mouth closed? I can hear everything or I can see everything. Um, I would I think that's a little harsh, D. That's definitely a little harsh. But that's the example of the the the, the particular thing to correct. And you want to keep it to something particular. You don't want to just say to someone, I can't stand the way you. Oh, eat. OK. I see you what you're saying. You want to talk about the particular behavior or, or um, offensive act <laughs> so okay. that they know what it is that you're talking about and they can address it. Maybe you don't tell them how. Maybe you don't say chew with your mouth closed. But if you tell someone, you know, I can hear everything when you chew, you might you probably want to know that. Um, Although that's, again, getting a little direct. So they're talking about licks their utensils, blows on soup and puts their used utensils on the table. That's three different things. Uh, Used utensils on the table, I might bring up in that it makes a mess for someone else to clean. Mm-hmm. That might be if you talk about the reason why you find that strange, mm-hmm. um, it might help someone make the choice for themselves not to do it. Um, blowing on soup, to me, that's – are they blowing on it in the bowl? Are they blowing it on their spoon? I, I say safety. That's like a safety thing. I the say soup safety is hot. trumps etiquette. And yeah. while I wouldn't make a big production out of blowing on my soup, blowing yeah. on it a little bit to cool it before you put it in your mouth, I don't find so, so terrible. I know there are people yeah. out there that are going to say, oh, never, never, not in a million years, never. Um, if I'm in a really formal dining situation, if I'm following the lead of the Queen of England, I might not blow on my soup. But – uh, so that's one I might not choose to address with someone else. As for licking the silver, boy, making a production out of licking the silver is is pretty outlandish table behavior. Um, 
It's a tough – boy, it's, it's hard for me to imagine correcting someone else at the table to think of good language for doing that. OK. Well, so try this on for size then. That things I would think about are that I'm only going to bring it up if I'm the only one present with this person because I don't want to – like if you and I are dining together, I don't want to embarrass you in front of our other start. coworkers or in front of other family members or friends. So and, – and rather than make it so serious as – I'd really like to talk to you about something later. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which could also make someone feel really uncomfortable. This is one of those things where in the moment when it's just the two of you, I actually think that is an okay time to bring it up. And I might start with saying something like, you know, if the tables were turned, I would I would want you to tell me if, if I was doing something that maybe I wasn't I like really that. thinking about. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if you realize that you – often are really like licking your silverware after you do it. And it's okay, you know, just to to pull the fork out of your mouth and, and let your lips, you know, pull the food off of it. But but to, to kind of lick it like a lollipop maybe isn't what we're going for at the table with other people around. Okay. You know, that's like maybe a, a, a comfort of eating on your own type of thing. And for the record, licking your knife at the table is one of those etiquette no-nos. Yeah. Well, it's also, man, depending on what kind of knife it is, could be pretty dangerous. Absolutely. Right. Um, but so that, you know, it it might also be like you've got – this scholar has a has a list or this listener has a, a list of things. And I know that I could feel pretty like, whoa, I do a lot of bad stuff. Like, are you really I feel really judged that you're sort of I feel like you were nitpicking like four or five different things or three or four different things. And it, mm-hmm. it might be good to kind of just talk about one at a time. Yeah. And maybe over the course of like a month or two, <laughs> kind of space it out just so that they they don't feel like you're kind of attacking all of their skills together at once. It is it is a personal thing how we eat. And oftentimes we're not thinking about it. And it can <laughs> definitely feel like someone's really stepping into to a very personal space or territory when they start talking to you about how you eat. Yeah. Anonymous, I hope that that gives you some some kind of guidance and that, that you pick your battles, but you also get to enjoy your time at the table with this person. Good luck. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Thanks to everyone for sending in your questions. You can submit your question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also send them in via Facebook and Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know that you want it on the show. This week's etiquette topic is one of my favorites that my dear cousin has taught me, and I'm going to let him tell you all about the platinum rule versus the golden rule. <laughs> so uh, sometimes when we start our trainings, we'll, we'll uh, begin with a room full of people and we'll play a word association game. And I want to play that game a little bit with our, our listeners right now. Okay. When I say the word etiquette, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Okay, so everyone thought of something. You can't say the word pink elephant without something popping into your mind or the word chocolate without something. When I say the word etiquette, people have all kinds of associations uh, from grandma to fork to pinkies in the air. One of the things that I hear very, very frequently is the golden rule or treat other people the way you would want to be treated. It's it's what many people identify as the heart of etiquette. And it's it's absolutely true that, that that's, that's a major component of the etiquette that, that we teach at the Emily Post Institute. And I recently learned um, from another trainer 
Dr. Alessandra, the idea of the platinum rule, and I, I heard it through other sources. I heard it from a pastor I was on a radio panel with. And the idea behind the platinum rule is that you don't just treat other people the way you would want to be treated, but you treat other people the way they would want to be treated. Oh, I like that. And the idea is that in an increasingly diverse and complex world, it's not enough to just apply your standards to everybody that you meet, that you really have to make an effort to think about where other people are coming from. You have to take into account other people's perspectives perspectives and backgrounds when you're thinking about how to treat them. And I love that the platinum rule uh, really evokes this sense of the evolution. It's a, a, a rule with real value, like the golden rule. And and to me, it really starts to get to, to the heart of etiquette in today's increasingly complex world where it's, it, it's critical that we think about other people, but we don't just say, you know, I'm going to treat other people the way I would want to be treated. I'm going to treat them the way they would want to be treated. And you make that effort to put yourself in their shoes. So that's the platinum rule. So thank you to, to the people that passed it along and thank you to Dr. Alessandra for, for coining the term and, and really putting it out there with some vigor. And hopefully you'll be able to live by the platinum rule. <laughs> Indeed. And, and we'll know we've done our job when I play a word association game someday and someone comes up with the platinum rule. So our etiquette salute today comes um, actually from the Newser website, and Shelley Hazen wrote a story entitled uh, Granny Sends Thank You Note to Officer for Ticket, and I'm going to read the story to you now. Giving stickers and toy sheriff badges to a Seattle woman's grandkids earned one Idaho state trooper a heartfelt thank you note, even though he gave the woman a speeding ticket. Kids are always really inquisitive when the guy with the big hat walks up to their car on the side of the highway. So sometimes they are a little nervous, Trooper Mike Nielsen tells KBOI. So he says he likes to treat kids like he'd treat his own family and put them at ease. Nielsen pulled over their grandmother, Tanya Baumler, for driving 95 miles an hour in a 75-mile-an-hour zone. <laughs> she was on her way to Yellowstone National Park. Later, while she wrote the check for the $150 ticket her lead foot had earned her, she wrote a little note to the Idaho State Police commending the friendly trooper and saying that he made the incident a good experience for my grandchildren. She also joked that he gave her some sticker shock, too. But but this is exactly the kind of thing that you can do, um, and it really is. It's a lovely, very small way to acknowledge good deeds and good etiquette out in the world. So, Shelley Hazen, thank you for sharing that story. Bravo. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. You can send your questions, etiquette salutes, or suggestions for the show to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. And if you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. We love your feedback. You can find us on Facebook at the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. If you do find us on Facebook and Twitter and you want to post a question, please use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know that your question wants to appear on the show. You can also reach us by email at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner. Awesome Etiquette is produced in collaboration with Vermont Public Radio.
This is Awesome Etiquette, part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. Don't forget to check out one of our sibling podcasts, Reasonably Sound, hosted by Mike Rugnetta, who leads us through the wide world of sound. He's just got an episode out on why we hate the sound of our own voice. And as two podcasters, Dan and I will definitely (laughs) be listening. We hope that you join us over at infiniteguest.org.